a dream that one day we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we shall fight in the fields and in the streets, we shall fight in the hills, we shall never surrender. The Historian's Magazine Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Historian's Magazine Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Van Uden, and in today's episode, we'll be speaking to Rosie Mags, Digital Marketing Officer from Brooklyn's Museum. This was a really good conversation that me and Rosie had, all about the history of Brooklyn's and Brooklyn's Museum, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. But before we get into the episode, we will have some messages from our supporters, and then I'll leave you with Rosie Mags. If you enjoy the sound of my voice, and I really hope you do because you are listening to the Historians Magazine podcast, I think you'll really enjoy the History of Jackson podcast. The History of Jackson podcast brings up-to-date historical research to you from historians, authors and researchers in an accessible and digestible way that strips away the academic jargon that none of us understand and focuses on the history at the root of the episode. So if that's something that appeals to you and you want to learn more about up-to-date historical research, head to the History of Jackson podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That is the History of Jackson podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Now I know you're fascinated by history because you are listening to the Historian's Magazine podcast. But are you interested in the history of art and culture? Do you want to learn more about works of art famous artists, or exciting archaeological discoveries? If you do, do you want to learn about it through free quality art history content? If that is something that appeals to you, look no further than Accessible Art History, the podcast. This is a weekly podcast where it explores all of these topics and so much more in such an accessible and entertaining way. The goal of this podcast and Accessible Art History is to provide history, knowledge, content and fun whilst learning. Now you can listen to this podcast and download it through any major podcast player, be that Apple Podcasts, Spotify or whatever you listen to your podcast on. So that is Accessible Art History, the podcast. Okay, so hello and welcome to the Historians Magazine podcast. I am your host, Jackson Van Uden, and today we're talking to Digital Marketing Officer Rosie Mags from Brooklyn's Museum. How are you doing, Rosie? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm really excited to have this conversation. I think it's been a while in the making, so I'm glad to finally talk about Brooklyn's Museum with you on the magazine podcast. So firstly, for our listeners, apologies if you can hear any little dinging, soaring, any bangs or anything. We are at, currently at Chalkland. Chalklands, Chalk Valley History Festival. So that's where this sound is coming from. So my first question, Rosie, is what is Brooklyn's Museum? Brooklyn's Museum is a museum that is on the site of the world's first purpose-built motor racing circuit. So Brooklyn's was the world's first racing circuit. It was built in 1907 and lots of racing went on there between 1907 and 1939. It was the place to be back in the day. Um, it was a place for high society, it was a place uh, of speed and innovation um, and yeah it's just a really interesting place. Um, Brooklyn's museum still has part of the old track 
on site. Um, we also cover the aviation aspects of the site as well. So Brooklands was also used for aircraft production during World War One and Two, and also had a flying club and lots of different aspects because it was very much a place of innovation and setting records. It's it's such a fascinating institution, museum, uh, you know, to have such a breadth of history available for people to go in to learn about and learn from, owing to that history of that that place. It's it's just so amazing. Now, this upcoming edition that we have is on the history of motorsport. So I really want to zone in and target that kind of part of the history of Brooklyn's and Brooklyn's Museum. So why is Brooklyn so significant in the history of motor racing? Brooklyn's is significant because it was the world's first track. Um, before that, racing used to go on on open roads um, and not tracks. So Brooklyn's was the first purpose-built track for motor racing. Um, they hosted the first British Grand Prix. Um, lots of records were set at Brooklyn's. It's just a very, for the history of motorsport, it's a very significant place. Um, it has strong links with the future of motorsport because without uh, racing happening at Brooklyn's, um, a lot of the things that we know today would not be a thing. So when Brooklyn's was open, there was no words for certain aspects of motor racing so uh, in motor racing you have a paddock that came from horse racing that was named at Brooklands um, the different um, officials within the racing circuit they were named at Brooklands and it was all based off of horse racing um, horsepower that comes from kind of the Brooklands era of racing um, because they basically didn't know how to talk about motor racing and the only thing that was equivalent uh, was horse racing. Often Brooklands was referred to as kind of the motor ascot um, and a lot of the words that are still uh, part of motor sport language come from Brooklands establishing it back in 1907. I, I really like that intersection of history and, and the evolution from horse racing into most racing. I think it's, I think it's really interesting and, and, and such a a little fine detail that we find absolutely fascinating we completely neglect in our everyday lives. Right, so Rosie, we were just talking about uh, the significance of Brooklyn's, uh, Brooklyn's Museum and what it is. Brooklyn's has such an incredible history of, of record breakers. What are some of these, these records that have been set? There's lots of records that have been broken at Brooklyn's. Um, John Cobb is one of the most famous record breakers at the track. He drove the Napier Relton um, and he, I can't remember the exact speed that he got up to, <laughs> but um, he broke multiple records at the track. Um, Kenan Lee Guinness is another one. He was the last person to uh, break a record on a closed circuit. So since then it's not been on any closed circuit. So Brooklyn's actually still the home to that record. Um, and that was so we actually had a centenary of that recently so we celebrated that in 2022 because he broke the record in 1922 um, the, one of the first records that was broken on the track was I think within a week of the track opening um, Selwyn Edge who was a, a very influential driver at the time um, broke the 24 hour race record which actually led to one the council banning 
the 24-hour racing at Brooklands because too many people in nearby houses complained about the noise. So they had to turn it into the double 12 and rest overnight rather than racing straight for 24 hours. Um, so, yeah, the council was not happy with Brooklands because of Salmonage. And <laughs> um, I think they actually got fined a lot of money for it. And I, lo- I love that. I, lo- I love that they've gone, oh, well, the council's complained. Yeah. Uh, we will just swap it to two 12-hour races. I think that's a brilliant record and a brilliant... A brilliant, like small little bit of history that we wouldn't we wouldn't think about talking about or, or bring into the fray. Now, Brooklyn has perhaps several lifetimes. Uh, one one based heavily on a motorsport racing, and another one that happens during the wars, the world wars. What happens to the track during the two world wars? So obviously, racing stopped during the world wars um, because everyone was off fighting. Actually, a lot of the drivers. Um, actually went to the RAF it just seemed to be quite a common thing that they were obviously daredevils so a lot of them did work with the RAF during the world wars um, but the track was actually used for aircraft production so before world war one um, pretty much with the opening of the track there was an aerodrome and um, like flying space and a flying school set up and then um, so Hilda Hewlett was one of the people that went into aircraft production she was the first pilot first female pilot in the UK to get her pilot's license Um, and she went into aircraft production which by the time you get to kind of 1913, 1914 turns into war war production like as in military aircraft Um, and uh, the Sopwith company was based at Brooklands as well Um, and the Sopwith Camel was one of the most used um, aircrafts in World War One. Um, and then Sopwith actually, well, they didn't want to pay loads of tax after the war. Don't so blame they them. don't blame them at all. <laughs> <laughs> they actually rebranded um to the Hawker uh aircraft company, um, who famously made the Hawker hurricane in World War Two. So during World War Two An amazingly um, underrated plane. <laughs> yes. It was actually better than the Spitfire in terms of what it achieved, but everyone remembers the Spitfire because it was a nicer looking plane. Um but when we get to World War II, by 1939, the track was in pretty bad condition anyway. Um, so it, a lot of people were deciding not to race at Brooklands um, during this period, like towards the end of the 30s, because the track was not in good condition. Basically, it was built on sand um, and it was built quickly. It just wasn't built very well. So even by the time you get to kind of the mid 30s, the track was in bad condition. So when uh, I think it was Vickers was one of the main ones on the site, there was a few different aircraft companies um, based at Brooklands because it was such a big site. It covered like two and a half, three miles of the area. Um, So when you get to that point, they took over the site and the track was damaged so badly during bombings and also general production works that they could never open it again. That's a a real shame, actually, because, you know, I was just talking to someone uh, in the press tent here at Short Valley, um, and I was saying it would have been an absolute treat to watch Max Verstappen fly around in his current Red Bull around Brooklyn circuit. I think that would be amazing. Now, moving into the current current, uh, life of of Brooklyn's, Brooklyn's turns into a museum, which obviously is great for you because you currently work there. How did Brooklyn's turn into a museum? So after World War Two, the site was sold off to Vickers Aircraft Company and they greatly expanded their aircraft making um, abilities there. So they this was actually their headquarters 
um, people like Barnes Wallace were based there. Um, and so aircraft production was the main thing going on um, at the Brooklyn site from 19, I think they sold it in like 1946 until okay. the 1980s. Um, and so what happened was when the aircraft industry started facing difficulties in the 80s, um, the site was planned to be sold off, but Elmbridge Council um, and a few other kind of Brooklyn's uh, fans, so previously people who, there was a Brooklyn society who used to hold, held like monthly or yearly events at the Brooklyn's track. Um, and then this developed into campaigning for a museum. Um, so the museum was kind of, vaguely founded in a kind of small way in the 80s so um a vickers wellington that was pulled up from loch ness um oh, was delivered awesome. <laughs> to the museum during the 80s but it wasn't really a full museum at this point the site was still producing aircraft but when vickers went bust i think they were bought out at some point by um bae i think um and that went bust, so the site had to close. But instead of the site getting all sold off, so in the local area, most of the site got sold off. You know, there's a test, yeah. there's housing. Um, but they saved 32 acres to have a museum on the site. Um, and so um, it was actually one of, uh, it was a woman called Morag who was fundamental in setting up the museum. And eventually in 1991, um, it did open um, thanks to Elmbridge Council, thanks to funding, thanks to Morag. Um, and ever since then, it's been open as a museum. So not too long ago, it was the 30th anniversary. Um, but it was mostly down to kind of the local effort to get the museum up and running because people didn't want that part of Brooklyn's history to be lost because obviously if the site had been sold off and they sold all of it off, all of the track would have been lost. I think we're incredibly fortunate for for those people to step in and, and, and keep this history alive because like I said, like Britain's one of these countries that absolutely love most sport uh, and, and we love our aircraft uh, and for that cultural memory and cultural heritage to be be protected and maintained uh, I think is really important. Now, I think that's a great time for us to take our ad break uh, but when we come back, we will come back with a couple of questions owing to our time limits, a couple of questions uh, from our listeners and then we and then what what am I talking about <laughs> anyway welcome back with our listeners from questions questions from listeners not listeners from questions now here at the historians magazine we love hearing and learning about history that isn't often touched upon in history textbooks or in traditional history media and one place that we love to go and learn about this kind of history is the past podcast with Veronica Fortune now, past is the podcast about those who would never rule. So if you've ever been curious about why women couldn't inherit the throne of France or how the Hundred Years' War started, this is the show for you. Now, Veronica covers the almost kings and queens of history and the reasons why they would never rule, which is an amazing idea, and I really think you're going to enjoy it. So that is the past podcast, P-A-S-S-E-D, the past podcast. Now, obviously, you love historical content because you are listening to the Historians Magazine podcast. But if you need some more historical content in your life, or if you're a history writer or budding history writer looking to start your historical content creator journey, then I have the perfect place for you. And that is thehistorycorner.org or 
the History Corner blog as they're known on Instagram. And this is the perfect place for creative people to find a hub for historical writing or those who love living history or photography to find ways to collaborate with the community. So that is thehistorycorner.org and the History Corner blog on Instagram. Great place for contributors and authors to start their historical content creation journey. That is thehistorycorner.org or the History Corner blog on Instagram. Right, so, Rosie, we now have a couple of questions from questions from our listeners. We have two questions. So our first is from Lindsay. What is the most interesting vehicle in the collection at the museum? There's a lot of interesting vehicles. Um, I'll mention a few, but I have got kind of a topic. So we have a Halford Special, which is actually kind of a combination of an early Aston Martin, but also Frank Halford, who actually went on to design aircraft um, engines and stuff like that. That raced in the 1926, the first ever British Grand Prix. So that's a quite uh, interesting one. Um, we've also got a Delage that raced in the first British Grand Prix, and the Delage team actually won that Grand Prix. Um, but I'd say like the one that everyone always says is the most interesting and is the Napier Relton. Um, it's a 24-litre aeroplane-engined car. Um, awesome. It still runs. Um, we still take it out to places. Um, if you've ever heard it start up, it's just crazy loud. Um, it's a big silver car, and it was what John Cobb did a lot, pretty much all his records in. And um, the Napier company, I think, were based at Brooklyn, so it's very much a Brooklyn's car. <laughs> um, so that is the one that everyone's always mo most drawn to because of how Brooklyn's is. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, actually. But I, I can't imagine the Mars Gallon on that. Uh, that, <laughs> that must be outrageous. Uh, our last question here is from Thomas. What's the best thing about working at the museum? I really love working at the museum. I think the best thing is that everything, every day is always different. There's always something strange and unusual and interesting going on, whether that's someone kind of cleaning a car or, you know, <laughs> moving an aircraft wing to go to another site. There's always something going on that you can get involved with. So I love that there's always something different going on. It's not a usual office job. I think that's I think that's a great answer. But for firstly, finally, thank you very much for coming on, Rosie. I really appreciate your time, and uh, and thank you to Brooklyn's Museum for, you know, working with us on this edition and this podcast. Cool. Thank you for having me on. It's been great. Brilliant. Okay. Have a good evening. Well, if you guys want to listen to the Historians Magazine podcast and free go and subscribe to Past and Present Plus on Apple Podcasts where you can enhance your listening experience without having it interrupted uh, by messages from our supporters. 